At the end of my message, I'm going to have three groups of people stand up. And so I want to tell you ahead of time, lest you feel uh, jerked around, so that you can be praying. Uh, some of you are obviously in, this, in these categories, and, and others of you will uh, be in crisis as to whether you should stand up. So here are the groups that I'm going to ask to stand, and you can just get your hearts ready for this, and I'll tell you why I'm going to do that. Number one, um, if you're already engaged in cross-cultural, long-term mission, so not short-term and not non-cross-cultural, but cross-cultural, long-term, or you have been and you're retired, so I'm expecting... Greg and Sally to stand up, okay? So that's a little tip-off that, that that kind of people are included in that category. Number two, um, you came to this event knowing God's call was on your life into missions and just needing to be fired up and inspired and maybe guided a little bit, and, and you're on your way, and I want you to stand up. And the third group is the one that's more, more difficult to get parameters around because it, they may be created in this moment. And that's the group that senses now or 60 minutes from now, something will happen in the next minutes, some serious stirring of God in your heart to move towards vocational, not short-term, long-term cross-cultural missions. You may have come with that stirring. It may have been begotten here or it may happen in the next minutes. I do not ask you to be certain of it. I just ask you to say, I think it's there. It's really strong. And if something doesn't happen, that's the direction I'm moving. So those are the three categories. And I just want us, number one, to be able to see that goer group. I want you to be able to say it's honorable to stand up for this, and, and I, want us, I want to pray for you, and then, and then we're going to go. We're going to go. We're going to go home. So that's where we're heading. Before I read the text, which I invite you to turn to, Psalm 67, Two preliminary comments. This psalm is the way we pray when we are besotted with God's passion for His praise among the nations. One of the barometers of the fruitfulness of this conference will be whether you feel more inclined to pray like this now than you did three days ago. Has your prayer life been altered? Second comment. I mentioned this in the panel. One of the ways that God alters the course of our lives is that we hear a portion of Scripture, maybe alone, maybe in worship, and it takes root and it starts to grow, and it doesn't wither. It hangs on. It, it revives again and again. It survives from season to season. 
it does something to us. We can't shake it. It holds on to us. It changes things. We can't fully explain it, and it becomes a call. And so my prayer is that, that if it hasn't happened already through texts in your life, maybe Psalm 67 and this exposition of it will be the occasion for that call on your life. And I should say, lest it, not, lest it be taken for granted, that I expect most of you to stay seated when I have people stand at the end. I will not be standing, okay? And I say that so that you don't feel like I'm a loser or I blew it or this conference failed for me, okay? We got that? The missional neighborhood guys, you don't stand up. The senders passionately devoted to keeping these people out there, you don't stand up. You just gloriously sit there. Okay? So, just want to make that clear. Okay, now we're ready. Psalm 67. May God be gracious to us and bless us and make His face shine on us that your way may be known on the earth, your saving power among all the nations. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy, for you judge the peoples with equity and guide the nations upon earth. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. The earth has yielded its increase. God our God shall bless us God shall bless us. Let all the ends of the earth fear Him. The connection between verses 1 and 2 root this psalm firmly in the way God is saving the world. It doesn't hang in the air, but is rooted in a covenant, in a way God is working in the world. So let's see the connection and then where it's rooted. May God be gracious to us and bless us, Israel. It's Israel here. May God be bless Israel and make His face to shine upon Israel so that the that's not a paraphrase like it's going to be in another text we'll look at. That's really there. The that is really there. That your way may be known on earth, your saving power among all nations. So you hear it maybe if you're a biblically saturated person. Blessed, Israel, blessed to be a blessing. Blessed to be a blessing. That remind you of anything? So here's what it should remind you of where it's rooted. Genesis 12, 2 and 3, the promise to Abram, I will make of you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great. And, now that's a paraphrase when it says so that. It's right. It's a good paraphrase. But it says and, but the that of Psalm 67.2 is a really good interpretation of and in Genesis 12.2. 
and you will be a blessing. Abraham, I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you, Abraham, Israel, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. That's where Psalm 67 is rooted. The way God is saving the world is that way. Chooses Abraham, Israel, works through them. Now, this prayer in Psalm 67 is not hanging in the air. It's rooted there, and it is meant to realize, express, and pray into reality that covenant. That's what covenants are for, to be realized and prayed into reality. Promises and covenants are meant to be appropriated from generation to generation including this one. And so that's what we want to do. That's what I intend to do. This sermon is that. Just like the psalmist did that for Genesis 2, I'm doing that for Psalm 67. I'm I'm rooting myself in Genesis 12 and Psalm 67 and where it was decisively fulfilled, not finally. Those two words really mean a lot to me decisively and finally, are not the same in my vocabulary. This covenant was decisively fulfilled in the life and death for sin uh, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, the seed of Abraham. And today, it is being fulfilled, and it will be fulfilled. When the full number of the Gentiles comes in and all Israel turns to Christ. So it's on the way to final fulfillment and has been decisively fulfilled in Jesus. And the way it was fulfilled in Jesus is that he was a Jew. He was the Jewish Messiah. He was the divine appointed emissary of God to fulfill this promise And when he died and rose again, everyone who by faith is united to the seed of Abraham becomes the seed of Abraham and inherits the blessings of Abraham, no matter how pagan that tribe is. So here's the key New Testament teaching on that. I'll read it to you. Galatians 3.13. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law. Christ, Messiah, redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us so that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles, the nations, the Palestinians. Would that they knew that. Would that Israel knew that. Would that the Palestinians knew that. That's the plan. Chapter 3, verse 6, still in Galatians. Know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. Verse 9. So those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. Verse 29. If you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's offspring. Heirs according to the promise. 
whatever your ethnicity, whatever your race, whatever your nationality. This is the mystery of the kingdom, that the Gentiles are fellow heirs with Jews of the promises made to Abraham. And that's the way the covenant of Abraham, Genesis 12, through Psalm 67, is being fulfilled and was decisively fulfilled through Jesus Christ. So God's plan to save the world is that he created it, it fell, and on his way to the nations, he chose a nation, Israel. You may ask, that's a strange way. Spend 2,000 years on one nation. That's strange. It is strange. That's why Romans 11 is in the Bible. And why it ends, oh, the depth of the riches and the wisdom and the knowledge of God. How inscrutable are his ways and how unsearchable his judgments. Who has known the mind of the Lord? Who has ever given a gift to him that he should be repaid? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory. Romans 11 is all about why God took this strange, circuitous route to the nations by going through a 2,000-year history with Israel. But he did it that way. And we submit there are reasons, and you can study Romans 11 and you will hear them. We are all brought low by this, according to verses 30 and 32, that he might show mercy to all. No merit here. So the plan is, choose a people, Abraham, Israel, make a covenant with them that through them all the nations will be blessed, send Messiah into the world as the seed, cause him to die for the sins of all his people and provide righteousness for all his people, say to the nations, everyone who believes in this Messiah is attached to him, becomes the offspring of Abraham, inherits the promises, and the, the covenant is fulfilled. That's the way he plans to save the world. And Psalm 67 is a realization and a praying into reality of that promise ahead of time. So we're going to read and study and open Psalm 67 as a realization of this covenant and then pull it right into our situation where it is meant to be. I think Abraham and I think the psalmist and I think God would be very upset with us if we did not make Psalm 67 real for the 21st century. So, first thing we see is God's great purpose for the world in this psalm. And I say God's purpose, even though it's a human praying to God, because Jesus said in Matthew 23, 43, that the psalms are prayed in the Spirit. That is, they are inspired by God and express God's intention for the world. So my warrant for hearing this human prayer as expressing God's intention is because this psalm is inspired because Jesus said it was. That's my rationale. That's the way I read the psalms. And what this psalmist says, and God through him says, is that God's purpose is this. The world exists, Israel exists, we exist, and the mission exists, Because God intends to be known, praised, enjoyed, and feared 
among all the nations. Those four, known, praised, enjoyed, and feared among all the nations. That's why he created the world. That's why he called Abraham. That's why he decisively fulfilled the covenant in Jesus. That's why he commissions us to go tell this story to the nations, that they may be Jews and thus heirs of Abraham. So let me give you the verses where I'm getting that. First, his purpose is to be known among the nations. Verse 2, that your way may be known upon earth, your saving power among all nations. Number two, praised. Verse 3, let all the nations praise you, O God. Let the peoples praise you. Verse 5, let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. So his purpose is to be known. His purpose is to be praised. Third, enjoyed. Verse 4, let the nations be glad and sing for joy. I mean to be enjoyed by the nations. This is good news. We're not out to tell them anything that would make them sad. Our aim is that they be glad. God aims that the nations be glad. And the fourth, his purpose is to be feared, reverenced. Verse 7, let all the ends of the earth fear him. So this is the will of God for the world. God aims to be known. He aims to be praised. He aims to be enjoyed. And he aims to be feared. And he doesn't aim to be known and praised and feared and enjoyed by any little clique, but by every nation. That's why he made them. So that's the will of God according to this psalmist because he's speaking in the Spirit. Now, there's more. What does he mean to be known for, as? What does he mean to be praised for? What is it about him that he intends to be enjoyed? And what is it about him that makes us tremble with fear? That's also in this psalm, and that should be brought out. And here they are. There's, there's four of them. Number one, he aims to be known as the one and only true and living God. The one and only true and living God. He's not the God of any other religion. I gather this from the fact that an inspired Israelite is praying that his God be praised by those pagan nations that have other gods. That's where I'm getting this. Verse 3, let the peoples praise you, O God, and we know who you are. Let the peoples praise you. And here's what Isaiah 45, verses 5 and 6, says about the God of Israel, the God himself speaking. I am the Lord, and there is no other. Besides me, there is no God. I equip you, though you do not know me, that people may know from the rising of the sun and from the west, there is none besides me. I am the Lord, Yahweh, and there is no 
other. So that's the God of Israel. He talks like that. The psalmist knows that, and he says, let all the nations praise that God, no other God, the God for whom there is no competitor. May all the nations praise the one and only true God. He wants them to know He's that. He he did not say, may all the nations become sincere worshipers of their gods since all gods are one. He did not say that. The whole Israelite religion is the opposite of that. God's religion. Now let's be really clear because we live in a world supercharged with the presence of Islam. It doesn't help. It doesn't help the cause of truth. It doesn't help the cause of love to say that we worship the same God that Muslims do. And I'm putting the emphasis on the word worship. We do not worship the same God that Muslims do. Muslims do not believe in Jesus who died, who gave his life as a ransom for sinners, who rose from the dead and who claimed worship as the divine Son of God. They don't believe any of those things which for us are the center and essence of our faith. And Jesus has something to say clearly about people of whatever religion, Judaism, Christianity, Islam, Buddhism, or Hinduism, whatever religion, Jesus has something crystal clear to say about people who don't believe those things about him. And here's what he says. They don't know the true God. John 8, 19, you know neither me nor my Father. If you knew me, you would know my Father. You don't know me, and therefore you don't know Him. Two, they don't honor the true God. John 5, 23, whoever does not honor the Son for who He really is, no figment of imagination, whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. You don't honor God, he said to the Pharisees, the Jews, Muslims, Hindus, Buddhists, Christians who don't honor the true Son, liberals who don't believe he rose from the dead. They don't know God. Number three, you don't love the true God. John 5, 42, I know that you do not have the love of God within you. I have come in my Father's name. You don't receive me. You don't love him. If you did, you love me and receive me for who I am in the gospel of John of all gospels. Fourth, they don't have the true God. John, 1 John 2.23, no one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever confesses the Son has the Father also. You don't have Him. If you don't have me, Jesus says. Fifth, 
they don't hear or learn from the true God. Everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. If you don't come to me, you haven't learned God. You don't know God. Sixth, they reject the true God. The one who rejects me rejects him who sent me. So I just sweep all missiological, philosophical, religious reflection aside and say, I'm talking about worship. We don't worship the same God. You can't worship a God you don't know, you don't honor, you don't love, you don't have, you don't hear, and you reject. To call that worship means nothing. This is really important. Neither Muslims nor anyone else in any religion, including Baptists, knows God if they don't receive Jesus as the crucified, risen Messiah who died as a ransom for many and is to be worshipped as the divine Son of God. They don't know him. This is really important. The first thing this psalm is trying to teach us is, may the nations praise you, O God, not anything else. You, the God of the covenant, who decisively in the death and resurrection of Jesus fulfills his purposes for the world. May they worship and praise you. That's the first thing he's teaching us about what he wants to be known and praised today. Second, he wants to be known and praised and enjoyed and feared because he is a God of justice. Verse 4, let the nations be glad and sing for joy, for you judge the peoples with equity. Be glad because you are a just and holy and righteous and equitable judge. When the judgment comes, and it will come for all the nations, all of us, when the judgment comes, God will not be partial. No one will be condemned because of the color of their skin, the size of their brain, their relative ability or disability, the place of their birth, the quality of their ancestry. No bribes will be considered, no sophisticated plea bargaining. All will proceed along the lines of perfect, unimpeachable, divine righteousness. So let this be known to you, nations of the world. You will, at the judgment day, stand on an equal footing with Israel. There will be one standard for everyone, the standard of acceptance into God's favor and the standard of vindication in his courtroom, and that standard is one thing, perfection. Therefore, the only remedy 
for the universal failure of humankind down to every individual, the universal failure to love God with all our heart and all our soul and all our might and all our mind, perfection, the only remedy is the perfection of Jesus Christ for us and the punishment of Jesus Christ in our place. What we are required to have, perfection, He has And what is required of us, because we don't have it, he endured for us. The perfections of Jesus and the punishment of Jesus are the only remedy for the entire world. And if if you think, well, it's the remedy for those who take that remedy and there are some other religious remedies. If you say that, you can say that. But the Apostle Paul has made it crystal clear how universal this is in a verse like this. This is Romans 5, 19. As by one man's disobedience, and we all know he's talking about Adam, the father of everybody. You will never meet a human being on the planet for whom the biggest problem is not Adam was my dad. That's the biggest problem on the planet. And there is nobody in any religion or in any nation anywhere for whom that is not true. Do you see what Paul's doing? He's taking Jesus and he's saying his remedy is for something that went wrong in Adam, not something went wrong in America or Christianity, or Islam. This is a global fall. And there is one remedy. So let me finish reading the verse. As by one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners, so by one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. So everybody that is attached to Adam, rooted in Adam, belonging to Adam, sinner, failure. You can't pass judgment. You're not perfect. And everybody who is attached to Jesus, rooted in Jesus, flowing from Jesus in that, his obedience constitutes them as perfect. We call it justification by faith alone. And it is a message glorious for the world to hear. What a news we have. What a news. Faith alone attaching you to the one and only being who died and rose again and obeyed the law perfectly so that in him we can have the perfection required of us and the punishment required of us so that we don't have to worry about the judgment and we don't have to go to hell because we deserve it. This is really good news. I, I, uh, I sometimes think that those of us who've been Christians a long time or have defended the faith for a long time, sometimes forget or at least lose the sense this is mainly news. (laughs) This is news. Have you heard? Have you heard, you son of Adam? 
you daughter of Adam, you hell-bound sinner failing in your own conscience and knowing in the deep, dark night of your soul you're undone with God. Have you heard the news? The Savior, the Son of God, God has remedied the problem. He's sent His Son, and if anyone from any nation would believe in Him, all their sins could be forgiven, all their righteousness provided, all their punishment in their past, and all glory in front of them. Have you heard that news? It's the best news in all the world. I just think we need to recover the sense of the news. This is euangelion. This is good news. This is gospel. This radiates like the, the herald comes into the town square. Hear ye, hear ye, hear ye. The king has granted amnesty to this doomed town. Oh, man. What a message we have. God will not be unjust. We're still on the second point. God is a God of justice. God will not be unjust to those who've never heard the gospel when they perish. As David Platt so biblically showed, they will without the gospel. And the reason he's not unjust to them is because they will not be condemned because they haven't believed in Jesus, if they've never heard of Jesus. Their condemnation will be solely on the basis of how they have responded to the revelation that they have. And what they've done with it, all of them, is suppressed it in ungodliness. Let me read that to you. None is righteous. None submits. This is Romans 1, 18. The wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. So there will be no excuse. Nobody who's suppressing the truth, which everybody is, where the gospel has never come and they stand before the judgment of God, there'll be no excuse. So they are without excuse, for although they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give Him thanks. So God aims to be known as a God of justice in this psalm. The God of all the earth will do right. He will judge the peoples with equity, either in hell or in Jesus. Number three, God aims to be known and praised and enjoyed and feared for His sovereign power. I see this in verse four. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy, for you judge the peoples with equity and guide, guide the nations. 
upon earth. Many nations boast of their power and their independence and their sovereign statehood. And the Lord laughs at any talk of sovereign statehood and independence. He laughs because he made these nations and he determined their allotted periods of time and the boundaries of their habitation, Acts 17.26. The king's heart is a stream in the water in the a stream of water in the hand of the Lord. He turns it wherever He wills, Proverbs 21.1. He removes kings and sets up kings, Daniel 2.21. He does according to His will in the host of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth, and none can stay His hand or say to Him, What are you doing, Daniel 4.35. God aims to make Himself known as supremely sovereign over the movements, the existence, the rise and fall of nations. There is one and only sovereign, and he sets the destiny, not any, any president and not any nation. And part of this destiny is they will hear the gospel, every one of them. The sovereign God has decreed this gospel will be preached to all the people groups of the world. And he means to be known as sovereign in that mission. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. All of it. All of it. Absolute authority. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. Behold, I, the sovereign one with all authority, will be with you to the end of the age. My will... My will, Jesus says, is that the nations be discipled, all of them. And this duty is my will of command. That they will be discipled is my will of decree. It will happen. I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. I have other people, other sheep that are not of this fold. I will bring them. They will hear my voice. There will be one flock. Those are not maybes. He is sovereign, and he means to be known as sovereign in the mission of the church. That's number three. Number four, finally, God aims to be known as a gracious God. So he aims to be known as the one true God, a just God, a sovereign God, and now a gracious God. And I see it in verse 1. May God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face to shine upon us that your way may be known upon the earth, your, your literally salvation, your salvation among all the nations. So he aims to be known as gracious to Israel and gracious to the nations. Verse 4, let the nations be glad. If the grace of God were for Israel only, there would be no reason for gladness among the nations. 
So, verse 4 is clearly teaching, I mean for the grace that is coming to Israel to spill over so that I can be known as and experienced as a gracious God among all the nations. That's the news that resounds in the New Testament from the cross of Jesus, isn't it? The grace of God has appeared. It's Titus 2, 11. The grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people. Amazing. The grace of God has appeared for salvation. So that's the link in Psalm 67, 1. That your saving power will be known, be gracious, so that grace goes out and salvation happens among the nations. And then it happens in Jesus. And Paul says, the grace of God has shown up for the salvation of all the people. When Paul sums up his his life, I know, David, you love this verse. I've seen it show up in your, your work. I do not count my life of any value. This is Acts 20. 24, I do not count my life of any value, nor is precious to myself, if only I might complete the ministry he has given me to bear witness to the gospel of the grace of God. That's the sum of the gospel. It's grace. We have a message that's really gracious. We don't go with a message of condemnation. He didn't come into the world to condemn the world. It came that the world through him might be saved. That's the message we go with. That we happen to be an aroma from death to death as well as life to life is a burden we can barely bear. We don't celebrate that. We endure that. That we have to be the aroma from death to death as well as life to life made Paul cry out, who is sufficient to bear that load? The heart of the missionary message to the nations is God will save you from your sin and guilt and condemnation in Adam. God will save you by grace through faith in Jesus Christ, his son. So let me sum up what we've seen. God's great purpose in the world is to be known and praised and enjoyed and feared among all the nations. He means to be known and praised and enjoyed and feared as the one and only true God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Two, he means to be known and praised and enjoyed and feared as an infinitely just and holy God, settling all accounts justly, whether on the cross or hell. Third, he means to be known and praised and enjoyed and feared as the sovereign over all the affairs of men and over all the saving mission of his church as the all-authoritative Christ. And fourth, he means to be known and praised and enjoyed and feared as a God of boundless grace to all who come to him through Jesus. Because he is gracious, he aims for all the people to know him. And because he is sovereign, all the peoples will come. His sovereignty will be shown in your life by getting you to them. And his sovereignty will be shown in their lives by opening 
their hearts like he did Lydia. He opened her heart. He has a people among all the peoples. I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also. This gospel of the kingdom will be preached throughout the whole world. He is sovereign and he will see to it that that happens. That's the great hope that unleashed the mission for the last 2,000 years. And it's the great hope that will sustain the mission until the mission is finished, which is what this conference is about. Now, that leaves one last point, a very fine point that I think in his inspiration God knew would be exactly right for this moment when he inspired this psalmist. I think he knew every sermon that would ever be preached on this, where, when, why, and he appointed it for this last fine point. Because if you're a a sharp reader, you're wondering, you haven't made anything of something in this text. There's some things in this text you haven't said anything about that look kind of important. This psalm, as we saw, begins with the link between being blessed and being a blessing. And that's what Israel's destiny was. And now, the new Israel, because we're grafted into the seed of Israel, has the same destiny. So, the church extending the Abrahamic covenant, the church is to be blessed that it may be a blessing to the nations. I think probably everybody can see that pretty plainly. But what is not usually pointed out is this. The psalm begins and ends that way. And in the ending part, the blessing to the people of God is material, not spiritual. Verse 6, the earth has yielded its increase. In other words, this is a harvest psalm. A big harvest just came in, and he's thrilled. The earth has yielded its increase. God, our God, shall bless us. God shall bless us. Let all the ends of the earth fear him. Now, there's a point to this, and it's for us. The immediate blessing in this psalm is food. It's material. It sustains physical life. The earth has yielded its increase. America could feed the whole world with what grows in Nebraska and Kansas and Minnesota and Iowa. We are a unbelievably blessed people. The amazing thing in the psalm is that between the beginning blessing, verse 1 and 2, when they're connected, be blessed to be a blessing, and the closing blessing, the entire focus is not on material things. You haven't heard me say a word about that, and I've been preaching for whatever. Minutes, unpacking the content of this psalm, not a word about material blessings. It's not there. Spiritual ones, God himself. Here's Derek Kidner. I like Kidner's commentary on psalms. I recommend it to you. Here's what he says. 
If the setting of the psalm seems to be a festival of harvest home, it is remarkable how nature is overshadowed by history. And the psalmist is stirred by hopes that have no material or self-regarding element. Here, nothing matters but man's need of God himself. Close quote. O Lord, that your way may be known. Let your salvation be known. Let praise rise among the people. Let, Let the people be glad because of you. Show your righteousness. Show your power in your guidance of the nations. It's all about knowing this great, gracious, merciful, powerful, sovereign, just God, the pervasive concern is know Him, praise Him, enjoy Him, fear Him for who He is in all of His moral and physical ways. Which means this, at least. God gives His people material wealth for the sake of the world's worship. We're almost finished. This is my last point because I think I think it's probably the point the Lord wants you to hear, goers and senders. God gives his people material wealth for the sake of the world's worship. He blesses his church with riches for the sake of reaching the nations. He gives bountiful wheat harvest for the sake of the bountiful world harvest. He gives us more money than we need so that we can meet the world's greatest need, the need to know God through Jesus. That's the sharpest point in the psalm. We are blessed to be a blessing And of course we are spiritually blessed. We wouldn't even care about the nations. You wouldn't even be here if there weren't some measure of spiritual blessing in your life. But something more is being focused on in this psalm, and it's especially for the American church, or let's just say the Western church. I have blessed you, American church. I've blessed you, Australian church. I've blessed you, Canadian church and British church and European church and wherever else the living standard is is amazingly high. I have blessed you more than your wildest dreams or anybody's in history. I have blessed you. This room is incomprehensible to most people in the world. It's not a curse. You hear me? It's not a curse to be blessed like this, but it can become one if it's not used the way he says. I have designed, God says, Not that you lose and they gain. Bless you, no. You lose, they gain. 
I haven't set it up that way. I have designed for you to go and you to give and both to gain. I love you, church. I love you. And I love the nations. I'm not into a a pie that doesn't have enough for everybody. I love you. And I love the nations. I mean to double your blessing in making you a blessing. I mean, do you remember I said it is more blessed to give than to receive? I I created you that way. I created the human soul to maximize its joy in giving. I made you that way so that this system works. So that you don't lose when they gain. When I say, let the nations be glad, I mean, let the nations be glad in your doubled gladness because of their gladness. I don't mean that you lose gladness as more gladness goes out from you at whatever cost to the nations. I didn't make the human heart that way. It is more blessed to give than to receive. Now, remember, we were talking about Ralph Winter, one of his strains all his life long, as far as I could remember, was America is killing itself by not giving. Killing itself. It is suicide. The human heart is made to reach the consummation of its gladness in doubling its gladness in the gladness of others. That's the way you're made. And the world is delivering you a message exactly the opposite. Keep, hoard, keep, keep, get, get, get. You die. What a lie we live in. We swim in an ocean of deceit in America. Little windows open up at missions conferences with texts. When I bless you, that you may be a blessing, I bless you that your joy may be full. And that includes your money, your food, your houses. I gave it to you. I gave it to you. It's not a curse. It just may become one if you don't give. If you don't live this way, if your whole mindset is let the thief no longer steal, but let him labor working with his hands that he may have to give to him who is in need. It's the the way we're set up because he loves this former thief and he wants him to be maximally happy. So he doesn't say let the thief no longer steal that he may have, 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 have. Bigger, fatter bank accounts and bigger, fatter retirement plans and bigger, fatter everything. And he dies. He's miserable. He's absolutely miserable. There are more suicides jumping off the Coronado Bridge than the Brooklyn Bridge. That's San Diego, if you didn't know. And it's a beautiful place. Houses start at a million dollars on that island. Maybe two million now. There's no no correlation between having and happiness. There is between giving and happiness. 
It is more blessed to give than to receive. So the point here is, I'm not against you when I deliver this message to you. I'm for you. I'm for your joy. I'm for your, your gladness when I say, I have blessed you that you may be a blessing. And when I point out to you, it really is material. America is wealthy for a reason. And Psalm 67 is the reason. So I plead with you, don't turn your blessing into a curse. Don't put your wealth in a bag with holes. I have blessed you. That is why you are rich. That my way may be known on the earth, my saving power among all nations. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy. For that you have been blessed. That is your mission, and that is your joy. Amen. Now, I'm going to stand up, and a few of you are, and and then I'm going to pray for you, and then we're going to sing, and then we're going to go. So here's... Here are the groups again, so just get ready. Let me just pray. Father, for some, they will look back on this moment in 20 years, and they will remember the conflicted nature of their soul at this moment. And they will be glad because of what you did in this conference. And I just ask for clarity for them. Seal it. Make it plain. We don't like to be on the horns of a dilemma or straddling a fence. We love clarity. So God, breathe into the minds and hearts of of people who came unsure and help them to know. So here they are. Um, if if you're you're just a veteran, you're in. You know you've been doing it. Uh, 30 years or five years or whatever, and you're on furlough or, or you're retired or whatever, just you're in, that's one group. Um, and, and another group is, um, I forget my groups here. Um, you came, yeah, you, you, you came, you knew already. You're not there yet, but you're on your way, and you didn't come here to get a call. You came here to get encouragement and, and strength. And then that third group, um, you just sense maybe before, maybe during, maybe now, a a deep stirring that you believe, I'm not asking for certainty here, you believe is from God that He wants you to move toward vocational, cross-cultural missions. Okay, that's as clear as I can make it. So everybody in those three categories stand up right now. a lot of people. Thank you for your willingness to declare yourself in that way. Um, um, and now, just, 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 just to make sure that the point is plain, would everybody clap, standing up clap for those sitting down? Because I'm in your category. I'm sure there's a third category that shouldn't be clapped for, but I don't know how to identify you. (laughs) Let the Lord 
let the Lord do that. So this is, this is a serious moment, and forgive me for making light. Um, I just want to pray now with a focus on those who are standing, and, and I won't forget those who are sitting, but uh, this is a missions conference mainly, uh, and, and I want you to have all the clarity you need, all the faith you need, all the money you need, all the guidance you need, and, and so I'm going to pray for you. Then I'm going to have everybody else stand when I'm done, and we're going to sing. And the song we're going to sing is the song of uh, Jim Elliott and the Five that they sang as they went. We rest on thee, and uh, you can feel free to cry when you sing this song, because I do virtually every time we sing it during our missions conference. Father in heaven, for these standing here at, at all different stages, some having invested a life, and some at the very front end of that investment, I thank you. I thank you. This is grace. This is sovereignty. This is justice. This is your uniqueness. And I praise you for the manifestation of it. And I ask now for each of them that their faith would be strong and unwavering in Jesus. I ask that their love for Jesus would be intense. I ask that their zeal for your glory would be flaming and would never go out. I ask for guidance to be given for all the decisions that lie in front of them. I ask for material provisions from your church that they would be there for every good purpose that you intend in these people's lives. I ask for married couples to to be able to be on the same page. There may be a couple sitting down right now because they just haven't gotten there yet. And I pray for a sweet harmony. No coercion, no threats, just a sweet harmony, Lord, of, of married couples. I pray for singles, women, men who wonder, what's my place? What's my role? Give them clarity and courage. I pray for long-standing marriages to be sweet and well. I pray for kids of missionaries who are not walking with Jesus, breaking the hearts of their parents and making it hard to go on. God, do miracles as we pray right now for, for children in the families. Protect them from hostile forces. Guard them from the evil one. Lead them not into temptation, but deliver them from the evil one. And surround them with your care. And God, keep them healthy. Don't let them get depressed and don't let them get diseased, I pray. The devil just loves to beat up on these people. And I just pray that they would be good warriors and lift the shield of faith and take the sword of the Spirit and bind the belt of truth and put on the helmet of salvation. Oh God, grant, I pray, that the nations would feel the force and that darkness would flee and the devil would fall back and there would be an influx in our day, unprecedented among Muslims and Hindus and Buddhists and tribal peoples and secular Westerners and Jewish people and every other kind of person who's outside 
Christ. Oh, God, make a name for yourself. I just read this morning, Lord, in in Galatians 1 at the end, where Paul, having been converted and having been suspected of being a false disciple, said, they glorified God because of me. My heart leaped up. Oh, God, may it be said of these, sitting and standing, they glorified God because of me. Thank you, Lord, for your blessing on us in these days. Seal, complete, confirm the work that you are doing, I pray.